I found this reading this week, and I want to share it with you. It's written by Tom Rainer. Tom Rainer's a Baptist. He works with Lifeway, and um, the title of this this little article here is 25 Silly Things That Church Members Fight Over. <laughs> and I read through this, and i got to tell you, I think I've experienced about 70% of that in my ministry. An argument over the appropriate length of the pastor's beard. A fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. And a, a deacon accusing another deacon of sending an anonymous letter to him and deciding to settle the matter in the parking lot. <laughs> a church dispute of whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's restroom. <laughs> Just for the record, my, my very earliest uh, invitation to go to a church was to a church that was fighting before I got there whether or not to bring the outside toilets in. And uh, I, I denied that. I wasn't, I wasn't going there for anything. Um, a 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase, black or brown, two, three, or four drawers. A church argument and vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. Fight over which picture of Jesus should be in the foyer. A petition to have all church staff clean shaven. A dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. A dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had been served with cranberry juice instead of grape juice. A business argument about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two additional business meetings to resolve this important matter. I could go on and on. There's about 12 more of these. I have lived all of those at some point in my life. We're going to talk today about Cain and Abel. I want to talk first of all about worship. Listen, if you would, to this verse. Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, if you will remember, in the book of Genesis chapter 3, just the chapter ahead of this, the Lord had made a promise, and it went like this. Remember, Adam and Eve sinned, and God steps in. And when God steps in, part of the promise was this. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now just for the record, that is the first prophecy concerning Jesus. Adam and Eve have sinned. There has to be an offering for sin. This is the introduction of what Jesus is about. God's speaking and he says to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. That's why I am so afraid of snakes. I will put between you and her offspring, a big split. And I will also let you know that that big split, the one that comes from her, will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. It means that Jesus is going to eventually stamp out Satan. Eventually Jesus wins. It's the first prophecy about Jesus. 
But you also got to remember as you read that, in this verse that's ahead of you right now, how Adam's faith would have made sense of this verse. And what do I mean by Adam's faith? If you know the story of the creation, when everything was created, the animal things, Adam named them. These are cows, these are frogs, these are toads. He went on and named all of them, right? But you probably may have missed that when Eve was created, Adam also named Eve. Don't look it up. And he named her woman. And that name means the mother of all the living. He was going back to the promise. And he was saying, you know, this is something special. This woman is the, the is going to be the mother of every other living thing. Here, what that is. Now, when you look at this verse and it says, "I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord," you need to know that Hebrew is not as specific or as exacting as the Greek language is. And what this verse could actually be saying here, where it says, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord, it could technically also be saying to us, I have gotten a man, the Lord. Now, why do I say that to you? Because think about it for a minute. We have been waiting, what, over 2,000 years for the return of Jesus, right? And you've heard it said before that the early church thought that the return of Jesus was just around the corner. You've all heard that preached before. But it was the same way for Eve. I mean, for crying out loud, she is expecting God to do what he said to that serpent. You know, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed, and what's going to come from her is going to win the battle. Eve's got this in her brain. Adam's got it in his brain. And here along comes a son named Cain. And she has to be thinking, this may be it. Just so you know, the word, the name Cain, it means acquired. It means this is what God's gift to me was. That's what they named their child. This is what God has gifted to me. And then it says she bore another brother whose name was Abel. Abel means vanity. It's a word with a little bit of pride. And it's almost interesting that his name actually means a little bit about what it means to live a life apart from God. And note in this verse that there's a division of work. Abel's a keeper of sheep. Cain is a worker of the ground. So you have a gardener and a cattle keeper. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering from the fruit of the ground. Now, just so you know, this is worship. I don't know if they had a place specific that they worshipped. I'm going to tell you that you can worship anywhere. It doesn't mean we don't want you here, but you can worship God anywhere. It kind of leads me to believe that Adam and Eve had built into these two boys that they had to be somewhere to worship God because here comes Cain and he's bringing to the Lord an offering from what he had grown from the ground. And Abel also comes. He brings the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Stop for a minute and understand this. When the writer of Hebrews would write about this way down in history, he would say this in Hebrews 11, verse 4. 
By faith, Abel offered a gift more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Catch that phrase right there, by faith. We look at it, we say, oh, well, well, God had regard for Abel's offering, but he didn't have regard for Cain's, and that's God's fault. He made, we all have this in the back of our head, he kind of made Cain do what he did. No, it was a matter of the attitude of how they brought their gift, their worship. By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. It's talking about the attitude with which they came to worship. You remember, the book of Romans tells us that faith comes by hearing, right? Somehow or another, Abel had heard something that Cain either didn't hear or, and this is more likely, chose not to hear. And we all have a choice, don't we? When it comes to a matter of faith, what we hear from God and what we're going to do with it, we all have that choice. And it's interesting that from the earliest of times, sacrifice for sin always involved blood. And here comes Cain and Abel. And they're bringing two different kinds of sacrifices. And so it says that the Lord had, no re had rather regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. And what did that do to Cain? It says he became angry. And it affected even the way he looked. Here comes Cain with this offering that involves no animal, involves no blood, involves nothing. He may have been, listen to me, he may have been sincere. But it was not acceptable for some reason. And it wasn't that it was... Again, you got to get this. It wasn't what he brought. It was the attitude with which he brought it. Abel comes by faith. Cain comes, and that's what you're supposed to do. Cain is building, if you would, church, this godless re religion. He's much like what Paul said to Timothy about when he said, some people have the appearance of godliness but deny its real power. He, he goes on just for the record to say avoid such people. I wonder how many people in the church today that claim and, and say that they are Christ followers have denied the power that God has through faith that should be there in them. Look at this verse for a minute. The writer John would write in 1 John 3, verse 12, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and, urder, and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? His own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Have you ever really looked real hard at your faith life? Have you ever taken a time to examine it? John says we shouldn't be like Cain. Cain came to worship, Cain arrived on the scene with an offering, but, but somehow or another history would remember him as a follower of the evil one. Why? He didn't come by faith, he came by flesh. He didn't come by the grace that God could extend, but rather he came by what he thought was his own goodness that he wanted God to accept. 
I'd submit to you that Cain was a Pharisee before there were Pharisees. And I'd also want to submit to you, okay, ready? Take the shoulder strap, firmly tuck it in, because I'm about to say something a little bit offensive. I want to submit to you that a a lot of the charge that the world has against the church today that we're hypocrites is founded on this very principle. A lot of folks that are churchgoers function this way. You know, Jesus is speaking. He's sitting at a table in Luke 11. This is a long reading. I may not read it all to you, but you have to get the drift. Jesus is speaking, and a Pharisee asked to dine with him, so he went and reclined at his table. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You're fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. He's saying, get right internally, and it'll all be okay. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, but herb, but you neglect justice and the love of God. These are what you should have done without not neglecting the other things. Woe to you, Pharisees. He goes on to say, Therefore the wisdom of God said, I'll send them prophets and apostles who they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets, shed from the foundation of the world, may be charged against that generation. And then he says, listen to this. From the blood of Abraham, or rather, I'm sorry, from the blood of Abel to Zechariah. Jesus ties this self-righteousness that apparently was present there in Cain with the group that he's dealing with called the Pharisees. Isn't it interesting that when you get to the book of Jude, which is all about people who once knew the right way and fall away from it, that Jude says this, talking about them, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. Look at that. I mean, what was... What was Cain's point? Let me make a point to you. Very early on in the scriptures, right here, before you'd ever imagine it, it seems to me that God is offering us two paths. There's the way of Abel that depends on the blood, and there's the way of Cain that depends on yourself. There's the way of Cain that depends on your own righteousness. Since we talked about the the worship, we ought to talk about this murder that takes place here. Do you know what James says in the, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 15? It says this, desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully finished, brings forth death. Do you know that sin always grows? Stop and think about this for a minute. We've talked about it this morning, and you've read it before. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, right? But they sinned directly against God. Are you with me? We're talking about the beginning of the story, folks. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, and their sin 
The temptation that was placed before them from the devil, from the serpent, is directly against God. The very next chapter, we read it this morning, Cain and Abel, the children of Adam and Eve are born, and where's the sin at? Yes, it's against God. Cain killed one of God's children, but it's also against each other, isn't it? It's also that Cain has now turned that sin, not just to sin against God, but to sin against his brother or his neighbor, whoever you want to look at that. It's like weeds. Sin is like weeds. It just grows and grows and grows. And the Lord says to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face troubled? Huh. If you do right, you'll be accepted. And if you don't do well, sin is waiting outside your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. He's saying, you know what, Cain? You got to learn to manage that anger. You got to learn to be sure that you, you're, you're not only right with me, but you're right with your brother. Not only right with me, but right with your neighbor. Not only right this way, but right this way. And Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And I'm going to stop and tell you, I, need, I want to go back to that for a minute. God's speaking to Cain. He's telling him the right way. He's telling him what he needs to do. Do the right thing. You do the right thing. Everything's going to be okay. I know you're tempted. I know that sin's knocking on your door right now. But you got to deal with that, brother. How many of you have never had to deal with sin? Okay. Right? But isn't it something... <laughs> That God has just spoken to Cain about this. And look at this next verse. Cain says to Abel, his brother, and they go out into a field. Cain rises up against his brother Abel, and he kills him. I have a, a cousin who got himself in some trouble when I was... I can barely remember it. Every time I think of him, that's all I think about. He may be completely reformed now. Isn't that sad? But that's all I think about. When you hear the story, the name Cain, what do you think about? Are you with me? History remembers Cain because he killed his brother. In the book of 1 John, chapter 3, 12, I already read this to you, but I put it on the screen this time for a reason. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. I only give that to you today because remember how this started. They were in worship, right? They, they were in church. They brought their gifts to the altar. They came and they arrived to worship God. When they walk away, Something happened in the parking lot pretty bad. Anybody here know? Yeah, I was going to stop at this point in the service and ask this question. Does anybody here know what the first question in the Bible is? The first question in the Bible is this. Adam, where are you? Right? Adam sins, they cover themselves, they're hiding from God. God comes walking in the garden to pull today, and God says, Adam, 
Where are you? I no longer find you. Where'd you go? Why are you hiding? You know what the second question from the Bible is? Very similar. We read it today. Cain, where is your brother? Cain, where is your brother? The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Cain lied, I don't know. He defended himself. Am I supposed to be taking care of my brother? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground. It's opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hands. Go back and remember Sunday school. Adam and Eve sit in the garden. First thing God does is curse the serpent. But then God curses the earth. The weeds are going to grow. You're going to have to work to till that ground, right? But now look at what's going on. Now he's cursing Cain from the earth. And it means this. Cain, you're a tiller of the ground. You thought life was tough before. It's going to be terrible after this. You have allowed the earth to receive your brother's blood. And you got to read the next verse to get this. I'll put it on the screen momentarily, but I want to read this to you. God is saying to Cain, you will wander from place to place in order to live. You will be a fugitive you will be a wanderer. Look what he says. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield for you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. You're going to have to just travel and travel and travel to take care of yourself. And Cain said to the Lord, this is greater than I can bear. Goes on and says, you've driven me today away from the ground. From your face, I'm now to be hidden. I'll be a fugitive, I'll be a wanderer, and if people find me, it's so bad they're going to kill me. One thing that I note is missing here. Do you, do you see it? He never repents. He, there may be an attitude of remorse here, but I don't see it real well, and there certainly is no repentance. He actually, he actually blames God. You have driven me out. This was your deal, God. rejected me now the earth's going to refuse me and it's just too much I'm not only hopeless but if somebody finds me I'm a dead man and the Lord says to him not from if anyone kills you vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold and the Lord put a mark on Cain lest any who found him should attack him I want to say to you this, no matter what you've ever heard said, and I doubt you've ever heard it in this church, but there's a slight chance that you've heard it, this is not a physical mark on Cain in any way. God has just said, there's going to be a limit to what can happen with you. But what I really want you to see in this verse, Cain has just told God, 
I've lost it all. I've lost my family. I've lost the ability to stay in one place. I've, I've got to travel now as a wanderer. The ground is not going to work for me the way that it used to. And God, and if I get somewhere and somebody recognizes me, I'll be killed. And God says, not so. But I want you to please see this in this verse today, church. That's the grace of God. That, that's God's unmerited favor right there at work in Cain's life. There is still hope for Cain. You're not going to get killed, Cain, because I still love you in spite of what you've done. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Have you ever driven, I don't even know if the guy still does it, have you ever driven down Tufts? Seen the guy at the Little Caesars Pizza with his signs? You see, it, you see the people with the signs everywhere. But there's a guy down there at Little Caesars who gets a guitar out, and he's just dancing around playing, and he's wanting to get your attention to come into Little Caesars, right? Cain has become a living signpost to all of us, a flashing light of what sin can do to you. In his very life, he was a living sermon of the consequence that sin brings into your life. But notice this. He didn't wander. He settled in a city. But he was still a wanderer, and I'll tell you how we know that. It's because geographically you may be in place, but spiritually you may be as far from God as you can get and that is exactly where he was. And he spent his life, if you read the story, he spends his life building a city for himself. And it's a cheap substitute, a counterfeit rendition of what God had in store for him if he would have only repented. Can I tell you something? That all went down in church. That all went down in church. How'd this start? They went to worship together. <laughs> they went to offer their gifts. And one brought it with a heart that was right. And the other brought it with a heart that was so far from God. And it was simply that far from God because he was depending on himself instead of upon God's grace. I, I suspect that Cain went out there and worked in that field every day and brushed the sweat off his head and went home dirty from head to toe. And he'd take a shower, you know. You don't believe that, right? He would get himself cleaned up, and he would say, Man, did I work hard today. I hope somebody's watching. And Abel would raise those sheep, and he'd tend that flock. And when the day came to go to church, he went out and looked and got the best the brightest, the fattest, and he brought it in there and he humbly knelt his head down and said, this is for God, and that's what God saw. One said, look at my dirt, and the other one said, look at my humility. In fact, don't look at all, just accept this offering to you. Church, here's my bottom line for you before we go home today. False worship is real sin. False worship is real sin. 
This story starts in curse, but it ends in separation from God. The story that, that you read today is a moment in time, isn't it? But those moments in time give us eternal results. A momentary decision for Cain to look at his brother in jealousy or whatever it was, in anger towards God and to kill him brought eternal consequences for him. Church, let me ask you a question. And again, be sure that seatbelt's on tight. Why are you here today? That's a question we really ought to ask. I ought to ask, why are you here today? Are you here with the right attitude? Have you come by faith? Or have you come just thinking, you know, I'm good enough. I sing well. I'm a good person. If you put me up against him, I can guarantee you I'll come out better. False worship is real sin. You know, Jesus said, Broad is the way and wide is the gate that leads to death and destruction. But straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. And he added in this little phrase, and few there be that find it. Now I imagine amongst the billions and billions of people that have ever lived on this earth, you know, what's a few? <laughs> a few million? few hundred million, I don't know. That's the concept. There is such a danger, folks, in the way that we approach God, that we approach him with a bended heart and a bended knee, and approach him not in our own strength, our own works, our own merit, our own righteousness, but asking for his grace and his unmerited favor to us. Because at the end of the day, he is the only one that can extend, the only one that can extend that. Don't let your worship be sin. Don't deceive yourselves into believing that because you've been here for an hour today, that that's sufficient. Amen.